Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. Thank you for joining us. And I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined as always by the brother, Ryan Eaney. And of course, our namesake, the venerable D Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Thank you, Michael. All right, my fellow NBA aficionados, we have about one week of this new season under our belt. It is the real thing. No more prognostications and pontifications. It is really here. And I have to say, in this wild year, guys, it is just nice to have a Christmas day full of NBA games. Uh, it felt, however briefly, that all was right in the world. Uh, but we are only a weekend, so it's hard to jump to conclusions. Although I think it's safe to say, Michael, that the undefeated Atlanta Hawks will be better than the uh, winless Washington Wizards. <laughs> you want to jump into that already? <laughs> I, You know, I... Uh, that's a great point. I I I'm a little concerned thus far. Uh, the Russ Beal experiment is uh, not quite panning out, and and you're you know the fearless Fighting Hawks are are sure showing out three and zero so far. Uh, and I do want to update the audience. We have agreed to a wager for our Wizards and Hawks bet. Uh, the if either of our team makes the playoffs, uh, and the other team doesn't, then uh, that is obviously a clear winner. If both of our teams make the playoffs, then the higher seed is the winner. And if neither of our team make the playoffs, then we both lose. So, <laughs> wait a minute, uh, Michael. I thought that we had agreed that whoever loses, that the following season you have to watch every single game, uh, get NBA League Pass, League Pass, and watch come. every single regular season game. Did I get that wrong? That, I, no, I I think you did, but it's, that's a good spicy addition to uh, our agreed upon apology letter to be read on the podcast at the conclusion to be of read the on season. the podcast. I like it. So an well, apology letter. You can apologize to me, Derek, when you lose. You can apologize to Russell Westbrook, Scotty Brooks for picking them as first coach fired. You can apologize to Bradley Beal for your lack of faith in his leadership and capabilities. I mean, you can you can apologize to you know Denny Avid. Uh, Avdija, I think our favorite uh, European, uh, our first favorite round pick, European Israelite. So you can, uh, you know, that's up to you for for who you want to apologize to. But I just you can get your uh, penmanship ready, and and uh, we're looking forward to that apology. Well, I, I, I think Michael, I, for, I, Michael, I think just to clarify, I think it's Israeli is the term used today. Israelite was uh, a few thousand years ago. But uh, move, moving point. on, Derek, go ahead. Well, I would prefer Michael for your apology to be directed toward Trey Young. Uh, I think he was the guy that you. <laughs> Took them both shots. I will have to say though, tonight I was like, okay, they're two and zero. If they win tonight, they'll be three and zero. I can come into the podcast referring to them as the undefeated Atlanta Hawks, and they were playing the Detroit Pistons. I was like, oh no, if they lose to the Pistons, this is all—it's all terrible. It's all downhill from here. Uh, and and <laughs> the Pistons got got it close, so they were only up by five with like thirty seconds. So I have to admit, I, I was getting a little nervous, but. I know it's all a little bit premature. It's only three it's games. It's a long in. season, Derek. But what would the first week be if we don't draw some conclusions uh, and either start to panic a little bit or get overexcited about things that we shouldn't get excited about yet? 
So on that note, guys, I'm thinking we can do this segment here. Uh, it's going to be called Buyer's Delight or Buyer's Remorse. Okay, so thinking about all of our picks, our individual awards, and our one through eight seating in the respective conferences. There was a lot of activity over this last week, so there's a lot of things we can get into. But uh, let's go with a little bit of Buyer's Remorse uh, or Buyer's Delight. Um, starting with delight, let's start on it. Let's start on the positive note. Either of you guys want to take something that, uh, you would like to double down on it other than the wizards being better than the Hawks this year? <laughs> well, I, I would, you know, I'm delighted. Um, even though, you know, they lost the Clippers, I, I do think the Lakers, you know, do look really good even earlier than I thought they would. Um, I mean, I think they'll be on cruise control for a lot of the season, but, you know, LeBron and AD, even with his, his injury already coming up, um, surprise, I, I do surprise. think, yeah, so, shocker. I, I do think they uh, they look like they, you know, they have the look of going for the repeat. Um, they have depth, you know. So I think all the things, you know, I think if you're a Laker fan, all the things you're hoping for are, are there, and you already see it. So I um, I feel good about having them and the you know having having the Lakers repeating. I'm going to be really honest. I don't I don't have a lot of delight so far with my prognostication to date. Uh, all I I look at uh, the the at glass is half empty. The, it is. It's or a little, mostly it's a long empty. season. I mean, you know what buyer's delight is? Is that we're paying. 72 games this year, you know, Lord willing, uh, that the pandemic doesn't derail this year. And we've got a lot of, of basketball to be played with only three or four games into the season. So that is what my, uh, I'm taking delight in, but otherwise I, I look at the slate thus far and only see remorse in my, in my selections to date and be really honest. So more than the Wizards over the Hawks. Sounds like there's even more to go through. D-Love, please help us. Help us with your idealistic nature. Look at the positive. Look at the best in people. D-Love, well, save I mean, us. Delight doesn't even suffice as the right word for this uh, Atlanta Hawks uh, explosion. <laughs> I mean, everything is just coming together perfectly, just firing on all cylinders Trey Young is on fire, obviously an early MVP candidate. He is a leader who other players will follow. The young guys are coming around. I, I, I'm just going to take this opportunity now because I really don't know if like a week from now this is still going to be something I can brag about. So uh, why not just get in while it's hot? But uh, the Lakers too, I'm feeling, feeling very good about that pick. I'm I'm also just kind of dismissive of that first game against the Clippers. Uh, you know, a little bit of rest there. But I, I like the the Schroeder and Harrell little pick and roll action. I think Harrell is, at least thus far, is is fitting in nicely. A guy that can score around the basket. Um, I know, obviously, that's Davis's job to do. But to have someone else that can do that, uh, I think, will be a nice addition. And I guess the Nets, I think they lost tonight, so I guess they've lost two in a row, but I was feeling pretty good with how good both Kyrie and Durant have looked so far. Nash for Coach of the Year. I do think losing Spencer Dinwiddie is, is a big loss for them. Uh, you know, Levert obviously is going to be asked to play a bigger role, and 
I mean, Dinwiddie, you know, it's not like he was doing a whole lot the first couple games, but I felt like he was a, a, a good role player for them and maybe someone else can can step in, fill his shoes. Um, so maybe I'm, I'm overthinking that one. But but I like I like uh, <laughs> Nets and there's a couple couple other picks uh i'm i was a, well, we, well we'll go to remorse next so I, yeah I'll stop i wanted right there. i wanted to jump in man yeah. on the hawks and lakers i do think you know the lakers i do think one other delightful part of the start of the season is seeing you know at least you know anecdotally or sort of just from watching a little bit of them play is that he does seem to be embracing the three-point shot more than he has in the past you know he sort of had the aldridge you know i i want to shoot long twos like i'm not a three-point shooter um and vogel has definitely emphasized that publicly this season that he he wants him to shoot more threes and emphasize that so it does seem like he's kind of you know more open to that and that's really scary because if he starts he's a great shooter and he can definitely shoot a good percentage from three so um that's one thing. And then with the Hawks, it does thing that surprised me about them, which makes me think there may be legs to this potentially. I mean, not, not to go undefeated or anything, but uh, their young players are playing better than, than I expected. You know, I think Hunter has played pretty well reddish. Like those guys are playing. And so I think the veterans they brought in, you know, I think will be more hit or miss, but if those younger guys can sustain, I think, yeah, that's a surprise to me. Um, so we'll see. Um, but I w- switching over to our uh, regrets. You know, I already regret not putting the Nets in the finals. They were my second choice behind the Bucks. Um, and even with the loss of Denwitty, you know, again, I wouldn't sweat the regular season with them. But I think you know, just seeing them come out and how they played the first couple games, um, you know, they really you know, have that, that look, right. I mean, I think similar to the Lakers, they just have a look of like, Hey, we're on a, we're focused, we're on a mission, you know, we're going to drive towards this. And with, again, even without Dinwiddie, I think they have, some, they have some depth, you know, they have some guys who can come in and, and you could see playing well, you know, they, they, they could do the role player, you know, the good team role player thing where they actually like, it brings out sort of, the best version of themselves. So even a guy like Torian Prince, you know, who's been off and on for a long time, you know, you could see him coming in and getting more minutes now and contributing, especially if he can kind of find comfort in a role player, you know, position and role. Um, so I think even with them losing the two games, losing Denwitty, I think they, they just, you know, they, they seem to have that look. It's fun to see Durant back and doing the things he can do. So um, yeah, I'm definitely regretting that one already. I share that regret regarding, I think, Brooklyn. I've watched a number of, of Brooklyn games so far, and I think just – I think I expected Durant to return to form, uh, but you still – I still forgot how smooth and how freaking dominant he is when he just gets the ball, you know, kind of at mid-post and, and goes – either attacks or kind of swings through and shoots that little 15-footer. Uh, you know, that – it's such a difference maker in an Eastern Conference that I think is – is in some ways starved for dominant sort of offensive capabilities that can play kind of at the highest level uh, is as I look forward to the playoffs and, and ultimately sort of representing the Eastern conference in the finals. So I, I think I walk away from that um, with some regret. I, you know, I look at the rest of my selections. 
you know, I think the Wizards being 0-3, that, you know, we kind of already hit on that, but that's another <laughs> one that continues to, to bite me uh, in the rear. Um, but, you know, I think the ones I've really I've really thought about a lot is, is, is the Dallas Mavericks, I think, thus far. I mean, with the exception of their absolute, you know, shellacking of the Clippers here over the weekend, I mean, their first couple games, they look like a bit of a team sort of lost. Uh, I think Doncic is doing sort of quintessential Doncic things, but what what I find myself sort of thinking about when I see them is sort of like the, they remind me of some of those like bad Laker teams when Kobe was sort of peak of his powers, but they had no one else around him. Um, yeah. Supporting it, cast is just, I mean, you see it and you're like, oh man, like, they they have even with Richardson being added they just they don't have much I think they miss Seth Curry too actually like I know he's off the bench for them didn't play a ton of minutes but their their shooting really isn't even to the high level yet you know it's like are they actually going to be able to hit those open shots off of him or not yeah I I agree I, I'm regretting my Luca MVP pick a little bit too I mean I think he can come back you know they can get rolling and he he could be fine but it, it he definitely didn't you know he didn't show a continuation from what he showed in, in the playoffs in the bubble but again we, it's such a short off season i think this is such a weird these predictions are actually even harder maybe than normal because you just don't know what the bad teams had a long layoff and then the good teams had a short layoff you know sort of continuing to improve you know you know at, at a level you typically see for a great player in the summer who's young and their games expanding and it, it may not happen the same way this time. I'm glad you guys Certainly, brought yeah. that up. Cause I just got to say the Mavericks, uh, they're one of my delights. I'm, I'm glad that I have them at the eighth seed. Uh, but that was pretty random to look up and see that they were up by, I mean, I, when I say look up, I just <laughs> looked at the ESPN scoreboard and I saw that they were up like 40 points, uh, midway through the second quarter. There's just been some weird things like Milwaukee just getting getting worked by by uh, the, the New York Knicks, yeah, and the 76ers, was it Cleveland maybe? But I guess that I guess that stuff does happen, but uh it's just it's pretty random. It's scary I think if you if you did, I don't none of us did, but if you pick the Clippers to come back and come out of the West. I mean, I have them the number 1 slot in the, in the conference, which may have its own problems, but to not see them have more fight, you know, again, in a game against, a, we are saying, like a, a Dallas team with holes that's still trying to, it's going to take a little while to find the mix that works for them and see Doncic kind of come back into top form and to come out in that game. Now, it is an early, it's an early West Coast game. <laughs> so I do think that has an impact. I remember a couple of years ago, I wanted the kids to see hard. I wanted to see Harden. And I wanted Josiah to see Harden. So we went. He was probably this was like four or five years ago, and it was a noon game. And Harden Harden played like garbage. Like he was so bad. And then you know his lifestyle choices. You're like, okay, like makes sense. Yeah, he may have come directly from some establishment or something. So it, it you know, I, I think that you can kind of throw part of it out. But again, like. Two years ago, they were a team with so much fight and so much so defined by Beverly and some of the other guys. And, you know, just to not have the, you know, they just depend on Kawhi so much. And that's, I think, 
with someone who's going to be out a lot during the season has injury risk. It's going to, that's not a great place to be. Well, and actually I'm going to disagree there. I think interestingly enough, PG is the guy who makes them go. I mean, if PG is rolling, I mean, I think this is the best illustrated on opening night. I mean, if, if anyone was able to watch that game, I mean, they come out, their team is rolling. They get up by about 16, 18 points. And then the Lakers sort of slowly claw back. And then all of a sudden, sort of like mid to late third quarter, PG just goes full inferno and, and is doing, you know, hitting pin downs, ironically, you know, his, the doc river special and kind of curling off of these screens and getting to the rack and, uh, and, and he ends up going for 30 and something points on opening night. And, and he's the guy that when you see a game like Sunday where they get absolutely the, just the doors blown off where he, he kind of looks like he's not showing up. And, and it, cause Kawhi is a guy who obviously is inconsistent in terms of his availability because of those chronic knee issues, but he kind of feels like he's a guy, you know, what you're getting night to night. You, you know, he may have some tough shooting nights, but in general, he's a fairly consistent player where to me, you know, Paul George is a guy who can he can function like a top nine offensive player, but he also isn't actually at that echelon. And so the variance for him is much variance. broader. My favorite word <laughs> is much broader. And so all of a sudden, V for variance. If you're playing three and D love NBA podcast bingo, that's V for variance. There's going to be like an over and under of like at what point in the podcast Michael first uses the words. So if he had under twenty minutes, nice job. That's right. That's it. That's it. Perfect. Uh, and so they, that to me is what is going to drive the Clippers here. And, and I think that's what I, I found really fascinating after the bubble playoffs where, you know, George played so poorly in large part and took a lot of responsibility for that failure. And then on an opening night, they end up, you know, pretty handily defeating the, the defending champs. And it, it just felt like case in point that, that as George goes, so so goes the the Clippers, which is not a great place to be if you're that franchise. No, I hear you on that, Michael. I I do think, you know, one performance like I think I saw Nate Duncan, who's, you know, someone who has a lot of great things to say and observation with the NBA, but he said Paul George was the best player on the floor. I think he performed at the highest level. He had the most efficient scoring contest, but he's not the best player on the court. You know, no matter what, that's always going to be Kawhi for the Clippers and. Obviously LeBron and AD. So I, I, you know, I, I just, I just think, you know, I think they are overly dependent on Kawhi because of that V for variance that you're you're talking about. Um, but I think the thing that's so scary about them when Paul George is right and is in top form is it's it's hard enough in the NBA to have, you know, to guard one great perimeter player. Like it's so hard with the rules to really slow any of these guys down, but to have two guys that are that athletic and that big, you know, I just don't think any, I mean, other than the Jordan Pippen bulls, like who actually has two guys that could like really mitigate their, their, uh, their offensive games. And again, unless Paul George, you know, self-sabotages. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see the other regret I have, excuse me, in part because I, he's one of my favorite players, if not my favorite player in the league right now, is uh you know i think michael you you did it so i think i uh you know you you know you shouldn't covet but i did i did covet a bit uh your your Jokic pick for mvp um and not just for the v for variance i i really you know i really like that pick he's coming out with triple doubles left and right um i really think he's like right borderline top five player right now um and i think it's just gonna get 
it's going to get better. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's, you know, the best player in the league, you know, I mean, I, I, he's still like, he, you see his potential for growth. I know people look at Giannis and say, Oh, if he had a three point shot, you know, watch out. But I mean, he, he's a, considered a hard worker and he hasn't developed one yet. Like what is he, you know, is he actually gonna be able to do that? I see someone like Jokic who can continue to get in better shape, continue to develop his post game even more. And to have someone who can just go score in the post you know, there, again, I think Zach Lowe said about Sabonis how great he's playing for Indiana. It's like there's not that many guys who can go get you buckets. You know, one on one the post, Jokic can draw double teams. He's an amazing passer, as we know. He can hit threes. Like he can just he and you could just see that continue. You could see him making minor improvements, like in his ball handling and decision making, and his efficiency offensively just go up. And again, we talked about it in the preview of his defense kind of could grow into being a more solid defensive player who could provide some sh- more shot blocking or at least shot, you know, sort of, if not blo- shot blocking itself, just like, you know, rim protection of some solid level, um, you know. So, yeah, I was I was bummed when I heard Yoke. I mean, I was immediately, you know, <laughs> di- you know, uh, disappointed about my selection when I heard, heard Jokic be called out. But, uh, you know, I, I, nothing uh, that I've seen this week has undermined my opinion on that. Yeah, I'll say this, you know, it's the Western Conference to me is going to be a really interesting. Um, it's just going to be fascinating to see how it does shake out. I think throughout the the rest of this regular season, I think there's so many. I think if anything, I've taken away this from this first week is just how competitive. I mean, we knew that every team besides Oklahoma City basically was trying to make a run at the playoffs, and they're playing I, competitive basketball, <laughs> of course, right? I mean, you know, I fascinating OKC note. I mean, I've, I've seen sort of discussions of whether SGA should be in the trade market. If you're, they're truly trying to tank, which at first face value sounds crazy. He seems like the guy you build around, but with the amount of sort of draft capital they have, you know, just trading a guy like him and resetting your timeline to a few more years down the road potentially makes some semblance of sense. I don't love it myself, but and I could probably get around on the idea. Um, but again, the, I think that Western conference to me is what's going to be really fascinating. And it's actually one of the bigger pieces. I was not high per se. I had them in seven, but I think seeing golden state through three games Ooh, uh, oh boy. is, is a, is a whole lot of yuck. Still I mean, better that, than the Nets, though. Still better than the Nets, <laughs> at least in a one-on-one. You never know. <laughs> but it it is, I mean, that team, you know, I, they have to go all, I mean, absolutely all in on James Wiseman, I think. I mean, he brings something to the table for them in the, the lane. You mean he's actually a good basketball player? So it turns their, out. He's their second good basketball player on the floor without <laughs> well, Draymond? Yeah, I mean, he can, you know, this, you know, Kevon Looney, he's getting minutes in lieu of Wiseman. And it's, Kevon Looney is like 27, plays like he's 45. I mean, the guy barely moves. I mean, he's, he's so rickety. I just under, I can't understand Kerr's sort of fatuation with you can't a, understand a player it. like that. He, he put on the '90s Bulls, the late '90s Bulls. And easy, I mean, Michael, just, with your your age reference. I know you're still in your 30s and stuff, but when you're with guys that are early 40s, that's getting <laughs> that's a little right. close. 45. Be sensitive. But they I had mean, Bill. I, they I had love Luke. you guys. I love you guys, but I don't want either of you playing center on my rec league team. So, Michael, I've <laughs> never been asked to play center before. Anyway, I don't see that. <laughs> no, I. Yeah, I, I, um, yeah, yeah, we'll see. 
we'll see we'll see how that that turns out but uh, yeah i agree i mean wiseman needs to play more and you know again i think kerr's obsession with looney may be directly related to playing and being close friends with luke longley and bill winnington <laughs> and all the big stiffs on the bulls will um, purdue is is offended somewhere right now yeah <laughs> i think he was in the first group but uh uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm disappointed. I'm more sad than remorseful, um, seeing Curry so far. I really believed and was hopeful that he could, you know, create an offense again. This is super early and there's someone who could get it more figured out, but you know, I, I think is Kerr reluctant to give Curry sort of the hardened treatment because Curry would not be able to, you know, withstand the punishment, right? I mean, you look at Harden, you look at Lillard, right? I mean, Lillard is, like, just powerful. I mean, he's definitely smaller, but he's just incredibly strong. And you see the way he can go to the rim and take contact and go to the line and sort of, you know, assert his physicality on defenders in a way that Steph can't, as we know, um, being slight, um, for an NBA player. So I, but I hope, yeah, I'm with you, Michael. I just hope Kerr says I'm playing both Steph and Wiseman high thirties and I'm going to just like, you know, run, pick and roll with them and, you know, really let Curry go because, you know, I, you know, you saw him in the Bulls game. I mean, they barely won. They probably shouldn't have won that game, but the latter part of the game, he just like, he got the line he hit his three. I mean, he was just rolling, you know, and I just, you got, I just, I, I really want to see them fighting for the plan and being around that. I, I just think, I hope Curry gets it. Cause I, I don't like the way he's viewed and treated, but unfortunately if he struggles in this role, then I'll just be supportive of the narrative about him not being in that top, top echelon of this uh, generation. Well, and I think it is, you know, it, it there's a lot to be determined. I mean, I think you mentioned this. I think Kerr, uh, you know, I hope he evolves. I hope uh, Draymond coming back gives them a bit more punch. I hope Kelly Oubre eventually makes a three-pointer. I mean, he's made as many NBA three-pointers this year than I have. Um, did you see the Did you see the graphic? I didn't see that. I watched part of that game, but I didn't see the graphic. But there's a graphic of, you know, Oubre and Wiggins' three-point percentages, and it, it said the title of the graphic was re- – replacing clay with bricks <laughs> ouch ouch that uh is terrific the truth hurts credit that to is, you guys for pointing that out that, that this was going to be the Achilles, Achilles heel of this team is not being able to shoot and uh and to have the guys that are especially while Draymond is out you're two and three guys but more than anything else when it comes to regrets you know, there's things in life you just look back and you say, why did I th- say that, etc." But when you have a podcast, it's actually a whole nother thing. So the, when I said I like Wiggins uh, and Ryan, you were on me for that, not just in the moment, but the next week. So I just see myself, you know, just taking a walk in 10 years and just randomly having a like Adam Sandler. I hate that Bob Barker, uh, Happy Gilmore. Just oh, why did I say I like Wiggins? I you tried to backpedal and say the, he was their fourth moved best out of the, You definitely moved out of the friend zone with Wiggins, D-Love. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, the relationship is cooled, though, this first week of the season. The, the interesting part for me, I mean, 
D and Michael is we haven't mentioned the Blazers yet. Um, obviously, super early. Um, but, you know, they haven't played as well as I was hoping to see them come out. It may be just, again, I mean, I think this season we have to look at sort of like Billy Bean used to look at the Oakland Athletics season. is the first third of the season you're trying to figure out what you have. Then the middle part of the season, the middle court, third, sorry, the middle third of the season is, okay, let me move people around and, you know, maybe acquire some players, trade some players and sort of, you know, this is the mix I want to have. And then that last, you kind of lock that in in that middle third. And then the last third, you really just start cranking at a higher level. So it could be, you know, it could be what Stotts is trying to do there in terms of playing a bunch of guys and just mix and matching. And I think that's going to be kind of across the board. You know, we may look back at some of these these uh, regrets, you know, as, as premature um, as these teams get deeper into the season other than the Hawks. Cause we know they're going <laughs> to go 72 and 0. Yeah. I think the Blazers for me is, has, I think watching that jazz game, you know, you just kind of wonder if the sort of celebration of depth that surrounded Lillard and, and CJ was a little over lauded. Um, I mean, Neil Olshay, the job he did, I think we all celebrated. We all kind of congratulated in building a, a, an eight, nine, 10 man team. And I kind of just wonder watching that Utah game. And we kind of talked about this in the preview is like, you know, once you get past Lillard and then do another degree lower CJ, you have a whole lot of guys there, but it's just, where do these, all these, you know, three through eight, nine, 10 guys for the Blazers really relate to the other good teams, equal sort of equal guys. And and I think watching that Utah game, you know, you have Gobert and Mitchell, and then you have this next layer of guys that I think to me consistently provided kind of an opportunity to sort of outperform in that space. And so that, you know, to me going forward, the question is, is, is what does the, the Robert Covington's of the world, the Carmelo Anthony's of the world, the sort of these rotational pieces, how can they contribute to sort of a winning team? And I think defensively, they're going to have to get better. I mean, I think that to me is, is the is the bare minimum. They're going to have to get to some sense of league average to to be a fundamentally competitive team in the middle of the Western kind of playoff race. And if they're not, they're going to be a fringy sort of playing team all over again uh, because, you know, they're going to continue to have these, these issues with this there's just so there's just too many good teams to be a, a horrible defensive team in the Western Conference this year. I mean, I think that's the thing again. I'm taking away from this week. You know, watching Phoenix play. I mean, the Suns. You know, uh, there's another celebrated team that kind of won the offseason in a lot of ways, and they, you know, Booker and Paul. I mean, are legit. I mean, those guys are fun to watch, and they can put some points up. And you know, they're presenting themselves as as a, a bit of a problem here in the Western Conference. So. I don't know. D, where did you, where you landing, you know, as our faithful blazer follower? Yeah, it's early. So uh, I always think of uh, the Aaron Rodgers line when you get up to a slow start is just, you know, relax. Uh, patience is, <laughs> is a virtue, but there are, some, you know, we need the Gary Trent jr. Of the bubble is, is missing. Um, I don't know uh, where he is, but in uh, Rocco, we just, we're going to need, a lot more from him. I think actually a lot 
uh, hinges on, on him being the player he kind of was at least at the at the peak of his of his time with the Rockets last year like we need we need consistency um, but I, I think you you raised some good questions and it, it reminded me of some of the frustration of the bubble when we were we were beating some teams that were not the best of teams and we were doing fine offensively but we were giving up a lot of points like when we played the when we played Brooklyn with all their perimeter players, like those guys were just lighting it up and we have to maybe getting Collins back is an important piece. Um, there is just going to be some natural time where I think we do have to just gel together. Like Lillard kind of had a, had a one-off game in that first game. I swear the jazz, maybe this is just selective memory, but I swear they kill us at home like every year. (laughs) So, I was trying to try to buy myself that now this is just par for the course. Nice little rally to beat the Rockets. A, a great game, incredible game by CJ. But I mean, while we're on the topic, guys, uh, the big news out of Portland is that you know James Harden apparently has named the Blazers as a potential destination. And, you know, no, no one's creating more buzz in the league than James Harden right now for a variety of reasons. But let's uh, maybe explore this topic. What do we think? What, James Harden is a blazer? I have thoughts, but I'll send to you guys. First. I mean, I really want to hear from our, our blazer maniac. It, you know, does all these problems we've just discussed, I mean, does James kind of further solve some of those issues? Look, um, my wife hates James Harden with a passion, and I am trying to explain to her how great of a, a player he is. So that, that's going to show you a little bit right there. I'm like, I mean, no, the he's, ability he's a- to be great at 215 pounds and then be great at 235 pounds <laughs> within months of each other is uh, quite quite a feat, quite a talent. I mean, the weight shows in his body, but it did not show in his game. We still cannot block his his step back three pointers. We still cannot. Nobody can block that shot. I don't know. Well, it, 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 I guess it's quick, but it's it's incredible. But I mean, we were well, talking one, last well, week one, about you were one, comparing well, like Lillard and Harden, you know, and to actually and I love CJ. I love his game. Nobody head fakes better since Adrian Dantley. He's got like an old school game. He's an incredible guy. But it w- and we would obviously have to give him up, but it would be hard to pass up the opportunity to have Harden and Lillard in the same backcourt. Um there's there's still defensive holes obviously but as that's a still a hard formula to pass up and i i imagine this has a whole bunch of split reactions with blazer fans but is there and you were saying ren no sorry to interrupt but i i do think that harden is just like you're saying like you got to explain to jen that he is just once in a lifetime i mean yes. steve jones jr who i know we all really like um his analysis that he's he provides um, of different sort of intricacies of particularly of offense that teams are doing. I mean, he, he noted this week that Harden is going right a lot more. Like he actually is develop further developing his right hand. And as we know of the all lucky lefties love to go left and they actually can go left because, you know, the rest of us righties always assume <laughs> they're going there, but you see the way he's being defended. People are really pushing him right. And now he's taking it and going to the whole with the right hand and getting into the lane and causing even more problems. So, I mean, I, I do think the combination of CJ and a bunch of picks 
actually, you know, if you can't get Simmons, which I still don't think they'll be able to get, but, you know, if the Sixers struggle, you know, maybe they, you know, take that small sample size and, and it sort of changes, you know, what Maury, Maury decides to say to remind him, he reminds himself that James Harden completes him. Um, he might, he might do it. He might let his uh, cold analysis um, not get in the way of his heart. Um, and bring Harden to the Sixers. But if he doesn't, I mean, you think about CJ, who's a borderline all-star. He's he's relatively young. I mean, if the Blazers did that, him plus a bunch of draft picks, you know, and they're sort of like up in the air, like how good will they be now? How good would they be in the future? But you add a player who's right in Lillard's window, right? I mean, the next two years, you know, you could be really special with him and Lillard. And because they're both such great shooters, you know, it's sort of like Kyrie and Durant, like they can play off each other and just spread the floor and really, really shoot the lights out. Um, and I think the other, all, the other benefit of it is that it allows them to actually like, just probably for salary cap purposes or just to kind of make it work to unload a few of these, you know, more marginal rotation guys, because I do think that again, it may just be that Terry Stotts, who's a really good coach is just kind of feeling his way through his rotation, but they're only going to start getting better. I think when they narrow the rotation and they, I think they, maybe when Collins comes back, but you know, I think Nurkic and Cantor are getting similar minutes right now. You know, it's like, you know, Enos Cantor had a great playoff run and he was a warrior and his arm was broken or whatever. And he played great, uh, you know, when they made the conference finals a few years ago, but he shouldn't be playing that much. And, you know, Carmelo shouldn't be playing that much. And Rodney Hood should be playing that much. You know, you should be playing Trent. You, you play Covington. You probably play Jones for his defense, defensive ability. You get the ball to Nurkic as a third player. You know, I think that bench has to scrunch up to make them more effective. And if you have that trade, it kind of shuffles the deck and maybe allows them to do that. I mean, I was really pleasantly surprised that Harden, you know, raise Portland as a possibility. Um, and I think if it was McCollum and a bunch of picks, I think the Blazers have to do it. And I think they'd be like, they would be so scary if they had both those guys. <laughs> you notice that the only person that was trash talking Harden, at least that I saw uh, was CJ. No, no one else was touching that one. There. He knows, he knows, he knows. <laughs> but I, when I think of Harden being a once in a generational player, it reminds me a little bit, you know how bird, was one of the biggest trash talkers everywhere and when he would tr talk trash one of the things he would do apparently is that he would tell players what he was going to do he's like i'm going to catch it on uh about 18 feet out i'm going to take two steps to the left take a step back and i'm going to hit it right in your face and then going away he would say don't bother looking it's nothing but net i feel like harden is that guy he could tell you exactly what he's going to do and you still couldn't stop it no right that step back is like that revolutionized the game. I mean, I think we're going to look back at that. Um, you know, this maybe, maybe, you know, not, I would think of the sky hook, but that was not really adopted by that many players because it was so unique to Jabbar. Um, you know, as a variation, of the three pointer, you see how many players have adopted that since he brought it to the four and it is unstoppable. You know, like, again, to your point, Jeff, you know, it's coming, you know, he wants to shoot that shot and he's just setting you up by kind of probing the defense 
just to get back into that step back. But if you were like, you know, if you just play him straight up, or especially if you get back on your heels, he is stepping back into that three and it's up before you can do anything. And you see how Lillard, you see how Curry, you see how, especially Doncic, I mean, he, he lives off of that. It's, it's just, yeah, again, it's once in a lifetime. Well, and for all of those reasons, I mean, the effusive praise, I think both of you just, just acknowledged. I mean, CJ, some picks, Simons, Trent, Collins, I mean, add to the list. But, I mean, I think whatever it takes, Portland has to make a play for, for Harden if if it's there. And That's a I, great I mean, point, Michael. I mean, you made the point a few pods ago that, you know, you saw them having a move, you know, potential move because they do have some young, interesting players who, again, like we haven't seen it in Trent yet, although it is a nip and tuck game uh, with the Lakers tonight. So, uh you know, we might, if we recorded this pod tomorrow, they might be in our, you know, joyful uh, category uh, with the Blazers. But, yeah, they have Trent. They have Collins. They have some guys that, you know, the Blazers really like. I don't know if the league likes them as much, but they definitely are interesting. And if you if you put a couple of those guys in, you know, maybe one or two of them, plus um, CJ, plus some picks. Again, that, that offer actually gets up there in terms of what seems like it's realistically out there for a player. And again, I'm, I'm definitely pro hardened, even with all his issues and his warts. And I'm like, and I'm so surprised some of these teams, like the heat, for example, is like, Oh no, we'll just ride with hero. You know, it's like, really? Like if you could somehow get hardened to go with Bam and Butler, and if you could somehow keep Duncan Robinson, that would be, it would be it, man. That team I mean, I think they would be the favorite for the title like, over over the Lakers. Like, and again, maybe that's not on the table. Maybe that's not realistic that Hero would be the central piece for a, a trade. Maybe Duncan Robinson, Duncan Robinson have to be included. But again, I just you, you know you 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 know the opportunity to make a run is just rare. And Lillard's going to be at this peak probably for only a couple more years. And it's just he deserves it, man. <laughs> Lillard deserves it. He's a loyal guy. If you can well, pull that off, you got to do it. That and that's the exact reason I think for me is, you know, this team as currently comprised is a nice team. It has the chance to be, you know, in a great year, a two seed probably going into the playoffs, and 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 not going to be favored to come out of the West unless there's some sort of injury that occurs, right? So you have a player that is as generational as Lillard is. I think this the franchise in a lot of ways owes it to him and that doesn't mean they need to compromise or sacrifice some sort of you know grand plan just to cater to him but I mean this is a basketball sound move to ultimately make a run in the next couple of years with a player of Harden's capability that comes alongside Lillard I mean frankly Lillard and his sort of leadership mojo may be the only thing in the league that can sort of bring Harden back from his incorrigible ways uh, in terms of you know changing his behaviors and setting him up for some level of success and it would be hilarious to see the uh, the the major NBA the major NBA fans in Portland the big huge Blazer Rip City fans like Jen Lover, to, to 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 come around to come around old hard after his for after he rips off three forty point games and the Blazers start start smelling the roses man it's gonna that would be the best part for me let me be clear that would happen in record time the, I mean. Todd and Sherwood would just be, uh, be up besides himself. And I just got to say my sincere apologies to CJ McCollum. He is one of my favorite Blazers of all time. I know there's a, a fan base out there. I mean, he, he has been a great ambassador to our team. 
but I'm telling you, that's how much I like hard and that I'm that as a player that I'm willing to make this experience, see if this experiment can work, which I think it, it would, whether we win CJ a will always, or not. He'll always have his Oregon Pino. He'll always have his Oregon Pino. Sorry, yes. <laughs> love to interrupt, but he'll, he'll always be a part of the Terrier, whatever well, it's called I, in Portland. I will say, I mean, we're in, we're at consensus that CJ McCollum trading for James Harden is worth it. Now the real question is, would this, would the Orlando magic trade Markel Fultz for James Harden? Cause you know, the way, Fultz has been playing. I mean, this is an interesting player and an interesting team. I mean, the Fultz trajectory is a fascinating one to me. It's near and dear to my heart being a UW alum, uh, having watched uh, Markel play at the UW his freshman year. I think he was seemed to be a lot coming out of UW, and, and obviously we all know what happened in Philly and ultimately trading for Jonathan Simmons and some garbage. Uh, and, you know, seeing him come into this year – uh, and you know, he's slowly taking these sort of small steps. I mean, not, nothing that even resembles a leap, but really small steps to becoming a playable NBA player, but nothing more than that. And I think coming into this season, it was a little bit surprising to see him sign his rookie extension, um, in, in the range, I think it was three years, 50 million, but it was That's a team right. option on the third year. So it wasn't quite as rich as it, it looked initially. Uh, but watching, you know, his performance thus far, you know, I, I kind of say, you know, tongue in cheek regarding him traded for Harden, but he is the type of player that if he gets even to 80% of what we thought he could have been when he was the number one pick uh, just a few short years ago, and he starts to put the shot together and the aggressiveness together, and he really continues to feel and play confidently. I mean, that's a, that's a franchise altering performance and, and sort of coming into a year where Orlando was forecast by, you know, I think everyone in our predictions league, I think except for one uh, prognosticator uh, assumed they would miss the playoffs. And this is a team that, you know, has consistently been, albeit in the bottom half uh, or the, you know, the bottom, the last seed is consistently made the playoffs the last couple of years. Uh, but if, if Fultz can make this sort of mini leap, then, you know, the outlook for Orlando is, gets quite a bit more interesting just because Fultz, if, again, he's hitting some of his potential, is is going to be in the upper echelon of, of guards in the league. What do you guys think? Well, he's so big, I think, is the thing, right? We, we talk a lot of – we talked about Steph earlier versus Lillard or Harden, and obviously height is a big part of it, and he's a he's a big point guard, you know? But he's also just so strong, and you see him go to the rim – and he can take contact, he can deliver contact, he can finish through contact often. And I think that's just special. And I think the way they've handled him is really smart. I mean, they've they've embraced him and sort of said, hey, be you, do what you can do. Um, and again, I think sort of Ben Simmons asked, there's, there's a way to, you know, encourage these guys to just be themselves and attack the rim. Again, like if you just, just play like LeBron plays in the finals where he's just going to the rim over and over again. Now he's the best, you know, the second best ever. So, you know, that's unique and he's so good at doing that, but these other guys can do that. And I think we see it with Markel, just putting his head down, getting to the rim. Um, you know, Zach Lowe pointed out his free throw shooting improved last year. It's imp- it's improving even this year. It looks like, I mean, his, his three pointer is still, I mean, not there. His jump shot is not there. And so it could be Simmons asking that it never comes. Um, never comes back because everything he went through, but he's playing more like he played at Washington and you see the way he's just attacking. And it's just, it's very hard for, 
defenders to deal with that because he can drive and finish. Markel did have two three-pointers last night. Um, he's the, the steal of my fantasy draft. I think I got him in round eight, I believe. Uh, but I, I think it's just, it's just a great story because um, things were kind of touch and go for a bit there with his mental state and there was the physical issues. So like, if you guys remember some of those free throws, it, it really looked like he was just frozen mentally at the line. It was like one of the worst case of the yips um, I've seen since watching my dad put three footers but it was it was really bad and it was like for him <laughs> to no shots offense, fired yeah. at steve lovegren man. man gosh the whole lovegren family's coming he, in he, he would readily admit it uh, marilyn yeah. brian else we got marcia <laughs> one of our big fans marcia lovegren shout out to you <laughs> so but to, to be able to recover from that in such a short period of time i don't know if if they have a, a team psychologist or if it was more physical too obviously the physical and the mental combined, but I, I really think it's, it's definitely turning into one of the feel good stories and it, it definitely makes them a contender for the uh, playoff spot. Well, and that's some of the best stuff. And the, I think it's the Yaron Weitzman book on the process on the Sixers is he really goes in depth. There's at least one chapter and maybe more on Fultz on the issues, sort of walking through the whole narrative. And, you know, he's a very unique guy because he, he was in, he grew up in the DC area. He played at one of the big powerhouse schools in the DC area, but he only played, you know, he was on JV as a sophomore, you know, and the typical, you know, I think he might be the only number one pick, you know, that, 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 that happened to, I mean, again, Jordan always has the great origin story that he got cut from the varsity when he was a sophomore, but that was also like a different world. Like this is a world of, you know, middle schoolers and even grade schoolers playing in the summers, playing AAU, like everyone knows, you know, who's coming up, particularly in the DC area, who, which may have the best high school basketball in the country. Um, there's a great recent book on the history of high school basketball in the district and the surrounding areas. Um, and then he just exploded. I mean, he, he got recruited by UW. Uh, he, the first, they had an assistant, Ralph Chiles, who recruited him very early. He was the first one to see him, first one to offer him before he started to blow up. Um, so I, I do think he just had a very unique backstory. He wasn't used to that, that pressure, right? He, then he went to Washington. We didn't even make the tournament with him. You know, it, it, he, he was just off the radar, you know, other than how he blew up in the summer before, I think his senior year, it, it, it he never, he didn't have that sort of attention. And then to come into Philadelphia where he was immediately anointed like this missing third piece, they make the Tatum trade, you know, to get him, um, there was just so much immediate pressure that he really did struggle with that. And it was touch and go. You wondered if he was going to be able to come, come back and get back in. And it's just, yeah, it's just so fun to see him continue to overcome. And so you see how far he has come and you don't want to bet against him. And that's a great point to you that he did hit two threes yesterday. He's showing more and he doesn't have to shoot like a high percentage. It's just like, he just needs to be a threat so that it's enough that people come up and guard him because then he's just going to get to the rim even easier even easier and even more. Speaking of just like the counter to heartwarming story since we're covering both extremes tonight, poor Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, seriously, a, a dislocated wrist now with everything yeah. that poor guy has been through. I know that it doesn't compare with the off-the-court issues. That's a in, incomprehensible grief. Won't even really touch on that, but... I yeah. feel bad for the poor guy. They actually got up to a decent start, and uh, now 
D'Angelo Russell is going to have to carry the offensive load that did not go so well last night against the Lakers, but I'm sure they were just a pretty dejected team. But uh, I hope he'll be won't be out too long. But I know I think that's I think he broke the wrist last year, so that's it's rough. Yeah, it is certainly. Uh, I think it kicks a little more dirt on the Timberwolves season that knowing that a guy like Cat and his capabilities is going to be done for a bit here. Um, certainly. But anyway, it's been a fun start to the year. I think this first weekend, again, it's a little, we're doing some small sample size theater here, certainly, (laughs) but it has been, I think, fun to watch, to dig in. Um, it's been fun to, to kick off our Cardi cup, uh, competition that we have a a number of of folks have contributed their selections. Thank you guys all for uh, sending in your picks. Um, I do. I would be remiss if I did not give credit. I, I failed to do this. I think on our four previous podcasts discussing the Cardi Cup, uh, the Cardi Cup was it, again. I, I mentioned this earlier. It was named in honor of, of a guy, Jay Cardi, who was a part of R.I.P. our email list um, and has since passed. But uh, the Cardi Cup was a name dubbed by Brian Petermeyer, a member of our email list. Job, Brian. Um, the, Thank the you, email Brian. List, that is not Brian Petermeyer, and. Uh, Brian uh, dubbed our re uh, inauguration of of the of the competition of the picks pool uh, the Cardi Cup. So thank you, Brian, for that and and for uh, everyone's participation thus far. I'm looking forward to a fun year uh, walking through another great season in the NBA. So um, moving on to our next topic, I think one thing that has come up over the last week or so that is near and dear to my heart. I know it is near and dear to Ryan's heart is the conversation regarding expansion has been uh, has, has some renewed vigor at the league level. Uh, I think Adam Silver gave some quotes recently around some expectations for uh, for expansion. I think Mark Cuban gave some quotes on a podcast, the Bill Simmons podcast, uh, about what maybe it would look like for expansion to occur. There's been some allusions to both uh, expansion in Seattle uh, with with the Supersonics coming back, and then also in Las Vegas, so I, that gets me quite excited for that. I reside in Seattle, so obviously uh, a fun opportunity to see live NBA action. But what are you guys kind of thinking and feeling as you hear about the the idea that expansion could be on the uh, horizon? Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm excited to hear it. You know, I th- I think it's really a wedding of the appetite for it. Adam Silver is a very methodical leader and he's a consensus builder. And so, you know, it doesn't seem like it's something that's happening tomorrow, but it's definitely something that he's putting out there and, you know, trying to get, you know, interest and engagement you know, from the NBA community, particularly the owners, because that's who really will decide in the end. I'll be interested to see a couple things. I mean, one is the price of admission. Um, you know, I think if you take the current TV money, um, the national money is allocated, you know, because that's what they'll give up, right? I mean, the local television revenue, the local, you know, gate and concessions and, Suites and all the money that's, you know, done that way is all additive. It all it all goes on the top, and then to the extent they revenue share, I mean, Seattle would be paying into revenue share most likely um, because of 
all the wealth and the size of the market, um, just a little bit bigger than Oklahoma City. So, you know, I think that's one question is like, what is the price of admission? I know, Michael, if you've thought about that at all or, or do love, I mean, the first number that just came to mind, you know, without kind of doing an enterprise value analysis and looking at it for a multiple, you know, again, like how much money do the owners need to get up front to give up a piece of their revenue stream going forward? I mean, we're, we're talking multiple billions. It's just like what, like how, how many? And then the second question I have, and maybe you guys have thoughts on that, is like, do they add a 32nd team as well? You know, I think there's a lot of Northwest fans that would love to see Vancouver come back in the league. Um, seems like that's not the most likely scenario considering the lack of interest in the team the last go around. Um, but the league's changed and it's different. And, uh, you know, it could be something they're interested in. Or do they go to Las Vegas? You know, who do they try and go with two just to keep it even, keep it proportional? Um, or do they just go with Seattle? So, yeah, what are your guys' thoughts? I think as as this gets closer and closer, I think obviously the implications of the pandemic does expedite this process. I think, you know, particularly for the owners that either this is their business or good point. Yeah. they're not nearly as wealthy as the Steve Ballmers of the world or even the uh, Frittata the, already voted. Yes. He already it, said in his ballot to uh, <laughs> the owner of yes. the Rockets. The, the Egg King. Already said Frittata? Can I get, can I get a deposit? Can I get it? Can you front me some cash? What's the, the earnest uh, money? Uh, fee. <laughs> exactly. They've already called Jeff Bezos and he's looking at what he can, he can put up. Uh, but I do think, I think that there's going to be a substantial contingent, you know, particularly with the CBA possibly coming up here at the end of the year with the opt out clause in place um, of some of these owners that are going to be hurting financially. I mean, we, we've, you know, getting into some of the really geeky stuff, but you know, the league has set up lines of credit for all the teams and has the banking relationships in place so that no team has to do anything, you know, totally crazy in order to subs to increase or sustain cash flows uh, during the year. But I do think regardless of some of these measures that have been put in place, you know, the, the cash is King and, and to have something that's, you know, Mark Cuban suggested it would be three billion dollars to join. Yeah, uh, that's right. The league as an expansion fee. I mean, that you're talking about a hundred million dollars yeah. per Up team. Up front, right? Up front, like right off the bat. I mean, that's yeah. the cost of doing business. That's the cost. I mean, and and you have to understand, it's likening to Steve Ballmer paying two billion for uh, the Clippers uh, several years ago when he bought out Sterling. And, and any of these teams, you've got to think about the, the cost of doing business in any of these um, markets is going to be in the two plus range and particularly in a market like Seattle. I mean, I think it's the 13th biggest market in the country. Um, Oklahoma City is the 43rd for full context. Uh, and and if, you're, if you were going to go buy a team in the 13th biggest market in the country, I mean, you're probably paying in that range anyway. But I think the the reason but it's not it only the 13th to... biggest market. I mean, Michael, you live there, so you would know better than anyone. But it's not only the 13th biggest market. It's the amount of wealth that's been developed there over the last 20 years since I live there. I mean, the Amazon money is the most obvious function, but there's still a lot of Microsoft. There's a lot of money that there's a lot of MB, there's a lot of basketball fans. Seattle is a big basketball town with the Sonics, with local teams like a lot of high school talent coming out of there, like. There's gonna, they would they would sell their suites out in like 
minutes. I mean, you saw it with the hockey. You saw it with the hockey, the Kraken. Like, they, it was just, it's not a hockey town. I mean, you have the Thunderbirds, but it's just like, there was so much pent-up demand. It just went crazy. And they have the building. I mean, I feel bad for Hanson, you know, for all of his work, all of his, in some ways, shenanigans, trying to get a team, you know, a few years back. And it looks like, you know, I mean, it looks like, right, Michael, that if they do get a team, they're going to just loop into the new key arena, right? I mean, that's... That's yeah, I mean, I think Hanson's going to get shafted. And, and I'll say this to our audience. If you're listening to this podcast and have not watched Sonic's Gate, stop yes. now, pause the pod, and yes. go watch Sonic's Gate. Yes. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful documentary sort of outlining the process of the Sonics leaving and, or getting stolen from Seattle. And just uh, and keep in mind, that is the, one of the best documentaries about sports you could ever see. And then the documentary that was being done by the 30 for 30 group at ESPN about the Kings keep staying in Sacramento instead of going to Seattle <laughs> got canceled because of the uh, issues about one of the main characters there. So that, that kept the Kings there. So there's, there's that dichotomy. Sorry, Kings fans. I know it's a sore subject still, um, but uh, you know, Stern was a vindictive person. He was a brilliant genius, as we heard from uh, our last guest, uh, Pete Carrado, about all the great things he did to build the league. He was a brilliant business person, but, uh, you know, he definitely kept a grudge. Well, and, and not to dig too deep into Sonicscape, but I think there's there was a curious question, you know, why ultimately would Stern let something like a team in the 13th biggest market in the country go to the 43rd biggest market in the country. And I think ultimately a, the owners don't ever want anyone telling them individually what to do. So they all sort of turned a blind eye and voted for it. And then also it ultimately was a massive shot across the bow of every municipality in the country that has an NBA team that if you don't build us, if you don't, if you don't finance us a stadium using some sort of public money, then we're going to have serious issues. And so, you know, as a result, Sacramento has a new stadium. Uh, Milwaukee has a new stadium. And those are just the two most recent examples as to uh, what happened in Seattle. But I think, you know, regardless, Chris Hansen was sort of the, the basketball savior in Seattle. He uh, is a hedge fund guy from San Francisco. He's from Seattle originally. He's in San Francisco. And he, he ultimately sort of initiated a stadium building process near the other stadiums, the other national or uh, sort of major league sports stadiums um, here in, in the city. And ultimately it's sort of gotten blocked left and right. He did, he had some chicanery in Sacramento as they pursued trying to get the Kings to move to Seattle. But long story short, you know, he's sort of on the outside looking in now with the existing former NBA stadium getting remodeled in key arena Um that ownership group that's that's sort of undertaking that that's going to house NHL is also available to to house the NBA and that and it looks like that is where the you know operating out of some foregone conclusion this the, the Seattle NBA team the SuperSonics will operate out of once sort of they they kind of get put in place. Michael, do you think David Bonderman, who you know is the money behind the Kraken, do you think he would you know make the move for the uh for the soups or, you know, he, he, he has more than enough money to go around. He, you know, he could, he could, uh, fund, uh, about a hundred thousand Bonderman fellowships and still be okay. Thanks, David. Appreciate, appreciate that, uh, that trip. <laughs> I, you know, Bonderman is an interesting guy. I think I read initially when he sort of got into the ownership group for the crack and that he, he was particularly an NHL guy for whatever reason. So I would be curious if that translates 
into MBA ownership. Uh, I think that said, finding an ownership group in the city, um, or at least with some tie to the city with a desire to be an MBA owner is not going to be a challenge. I think there's enough money in this city that, uh, somebody will sort of rise to the top or a group or a conglomerate of guys will do you think bezos is bezos i mean i know he just named this the arena the former key arena but do you think would he would he do that i mean he doesn't seem he seems to be a kind of a social sports fan but not necessarily like someone who really wants to do it and you've seen the more recent owners that have come in are like they grew up in a generation as the NBA was growing and they actually do have like the most, the Utah jazz owner, right? I mean, he's like a serious NBA fan and that's why he, he bought in. So maybe your point about Bonderman or Bezos is they wouldn't do it. And you know, before you answer that question though, the, 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 the third B in here is the biggest, you know, as we go deeper into the Sonics rabbit hole, the third B is the biggest, what if about Seattle basketball is Balmer is Steve Balmer. Um, if he decides to stop running Microsoft and giving woohoos as he, uh, you know, speaks to his uh, Microsoft employees, um, if he had done that a few years earlier, the soups never leave Seattle because he's the obvious buyer of them, um, and he was exactly. the money guy with Hanson um, as they were trying to make the moves with the Kings, and when the Kings move fell apart, he you know, was looking for a team. He was going to buy a team. He bought the Clips. The rest is history. And that's the biggest bummer is because he has done the Clippers first class. He has Jerry West. He's he's invested so much in them. He's building a new arena himself. Um, you know, he's buying out people left and right. I mean, he's got B, he's got billions of the capital B. Um, you know, as, as Michael pointed out a few, weeks, a few weeks ago, he's even got more money than the Walmart family. Um, so it's, it's just such a bummer looking back at that because if he had just – been willing to step up like a few years earlier they never would have left if the kings again much love for the kings fans but if that had worked out which again it should have if if uh stern was such a hypocrite they would have uh they would have come and balmer be the owner and we'd be the clippers north so it's uh i hope it happens we've gone to the rabbit hole d love as a blazers fan are you pro or anti the sonics coming back you've owned the northwest for years now um, there's even Blazers games are even shown in Seattle out of desperation. You got Kevin Calabro and then, and then, and then the Blazer fans ran him out of town. You didn't even appreciate Calabro who is the, the voice of the NBA and the, the, you know, who wouldn't even go to the Oklahoma city to the thunder is loyal to the Northwest. And you guys, you and Jen and ever, you're going to make me switch my allegiance to get him out of there. So, uh, what uh, what say thee, my Blazer brother? There is room for the Sonics to return to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, absolutely. Forget about Markel Fultz as the feel-good story. That would be a feel-good story. No matter, even if you were and consider yourself an enemy of the Sonics, like what happened, that whole debacle was just terrible. Like the first thing that always comes to my mind when I think about it is like, wait, how did how did the Thunder get their history too? That that part still <laughs> infuriates right. me. That doesn't make sense. They won the 79 championship, right? It was the, it was the year you were born. It's, it's, it's not right. I know. That the record books do not reflect that. So, I mean, it, and it's been, how many years has it been now since there's been an expansion team? Uh, 30 years? I mean, it's, we're, we're no, due for the Bobcats, I think. You have the right? Bobcats. Oh, I'm sorry. The Bobcats, yeah. Bobcats. Sorry, no, but still 16 years ago. Yeah. And just to clarify for the record, I was under the impression for many years that I was actually born during the finals 
but I actually have clarified that um, it's not to the level of finding out that your dad's not your actual dad. But I did find out that it was not the finals. It was the conference <laughs> finals, the Western Conference finals, that really changed the trajectory of my life to find that out. I wasn't the person I thought I was. You but should, thanks, Dad. You thanks for pointing never, that out, Jim. You should Appreciate have never it. looked into that, Ryan. Some, some myths just need to be perpetuated and not <laughs> <Forever>. be explored. <laughs> Damn you, basketball prospectus. <laughs> That's right. So can I ask you guys, who quickly, I mean, who – who was the biggest villain of Sonicscape? Was it Stern? Was it Howard Schultz? Howard Clay Schultz. Bennett? Okay, Schultz. Yeah, it was Howard Schultz because he made the decision to do it for me. You know, if you see Sonicscape, it was obviously Stern. It's the mayor, Nichols. It's um, obviously Clay Bennett and just, you know, and really McClendon, actually, I think, of the owners because he was just – you know, talking trash both publicly and even more in, you know, sort of internally in emails that were eventually produced. I mean, they knew what they were doing from the beginning. But for me, it's Schultz, um, one of the richest guys in the, in the country or the world, um, has the team, got it at a great price, to, you know, 20 years ago. Or, well, and for, for those of you following at home, Howard Schultz is the founder of Starbucks. Yes, he so had the a- money. He was an NBA fan. And, you know... He's got it down pat. He went back to Starbucks. He know he's really good at charging five dollars, six dollars for something that costs like twenty cents to make. Like he's brilliant at that. He's great at finding corners to put more Starbucks. And he just felt like being an NBA owner would be the same thing. It's just like add water and stir. And it wasn't. They struggled when he was the owner. And he, like a little child on Christmas, doesn't get the gifts he wanted. You know, ran upstairs and uh, you know had a had a fit. Um, and he decided to sell the team and unload them. And he didn't pick a, an owner um, that was Seattle ties that was committed to being there. He sold Oklahoma City. Everyone knew what was going to happen. It was, it was, you know, unless, you know, they got public money for a stadium, which was not going to happen. And the irony of that is now a lot of these stadiums, particularly in like the West Coast, like you saw it in San Francisco with the new Warriors, they're doing it privately and they're making it work. Because these these certain parts of the country are not going to give money. Like, there's not enough passion and interest in it. So, yeah, well, I have. I you can tell the venom in me, the resentment. I need to I need to seek reprochment with Howard Schultz. I still go to Starbucks. There's definitely say, so the much true the, the true Sonics fans stop going to Starbucks. Of course, <laughs> it's not that big of a deal because no, no. anyone in Seattle actually lives in Seattle and loves coffee never goes to Starbucks anyway. So, okay, Sonics game creators like. You know, it's not that big of a sacrifice. Us heathens outside Seattle actually have to find coffee um, and still go to Starbucks. The, so I'm not the, a true real, Sonics fan. The but, real loyalists uh, are still protesting outside of Starbucks. It's, still, it's just it's just Hanson. It's Hanson and a few few Sasquatches, and that's it. Well, and I I think this that that point about the public money. I mean, ultimately, Schultz had the opportunity to contractually require the team to stay in in Seattle. And instead, he required the new ownership group to make a, a good faith effort at maintaining the team in Seattle subject to sort of coming to a stadium deal with the city and the state. And that never happened. I mean, that, and that wasn't going to happen. And, and, and Seattle, unfortunately, was sort of at the, the sort of leading edge of this tipping point where the greatest racket and, and, you know, really sort of major sports in America sort of started to end, which is basically that the major sports teams 
We're requiring cities to either build and then lease to the teams or publicly finance and allow the teams to build these these stadiums under the ideal that there's some social benefit to having professional sports. Now, well, they argue there's an economic benefit, which is which in rare cases, in rare cases, never never happened. Yeah, it's never been proved. I mean, I I think there's been some revitalization of certain neighborhoods due to having the Wizards. Their downtown arena definitely helped influence and change downtown in Washington. So you do have some secondary benefits, but the actual economic benefits of a stadium, it's like you think about it, you're like, oh, an NBA stadium's used like arenas used 50 times a year at most, you know? So it's like how great, you know, it sits, it sits empty. Even with all the concerts they try and fill, if you have NHL, it's still, you know, and that even gets you to the NFL stadiums where you use them like 10 times a year if you make the playoffs and that's it. Well, and that's and that big change is what caused the the rift in Seattle, right? And ultimately, Ryan, you hit it on the head. Is is the NBA? I think particularly with Stern, Stern wasn't willing to let this sort of cash cow die on his watch. And since then, since his sort of exit from the league in what fourteen or fifteen, you know, Silver has obviously taken much less of a substantial sort of position in terms of of this perspective. I mean, he's. I mean, there was a season in the NBA where they wouldn't, I mean, teams had to go partner with cities to build stadiums because they never wanted to let go of this option. And now teams left and right. I mean, you see Balmer, you see the Warriors sort of, I mean, Lacob sort of is building this palace. I mean, now it's finally done and they can't have fans in there, which is some sort of cosmic irony, but light years, uh, light years. Uh, so, you know, that to me is, is going to be, you know, we now have a stadium, I, I think, to me, the biggest piece with expansion, the biggest what if, and that's going to determine sort of the timing of all of this, because I do think it's a bit of a foregone conclusion. It's just a matter of when is because of this pandemic, how many owners are in a position to have concern around their own personal cash flow where a hundred million bucks in right. their pocket cash is, you know, yeah. six months from now is really attractive and how many are taking a longer view, right? Because fundamentally what this is, is, is the hundred million bucks is effectively a loan, right? As you know, you're getting money in advance but you're you're trading rights to you know one thirty second of a pie that you formerly had one thirtieth of right and so that that change I mean amounts to four five six million bucks a year in a lot of ways which doesn't sound like a ton but over the next decade 10 15 20 30 years particularly with the price of live sports continuing to increase now there's some ratings issues that are sort of open to be discovered but you know that's the perspective that that the owners are going to be taking and weighing the benefits of the cash now versus, you know, the future of the TV rights and, and the, the deal that is to come here in a few years from now, as they re up with, you know, TNT and ESPN or potentially some sort of OTT solution uh, in terms of outsourcing league pass or or whichever direction they go, right. The the league is going to continue to creative there. But again, I, I just think that to me is what the really interesting thing is, is, you know, Seattle, I, the reason I consider Seattle a foregone conclusion is because, you know, you're talking about fractions of a pie changing, right? So every new team takes on one, whatever the, the new denominator team is, right? So it's one thirtieth today and becomes one, one. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you look at 2.6 billion, go ahead. If you, if you look at 2.6 billion divided by 30, 
that's the national TV money. Then you're going to 86 million a team. If you do 32 teams, you're going to 81. So exactly your point. It's five. It's five million bucks, but it's indefinitely. And that's why they're not going to do this until the new TV deal is done. So they know the new. They know the new. They know how much money they're giving they away. They know the new numerator. You know, they well, need to know and, the new numerator before they, they do it. They not only know how much money they're giving away, but they can. They know how much they can message to the 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 TV providers. Hey, we're going to expand, right? So yeah. we're going to negotiate a deal under the auspices us, yes. that we have 32 teams, that we have 31 or 32 teams, and one of them is is, is the Seattle SuperSonics, which right. is the 13th biggest market in the country. You have your cake and eat it too. That's, exactly, that's right. That's right? right. And so that's exactly what they're going to try to do here. It's just how it's, much... It, do, that's his audience. I mean, that's a great point. That's Silver's audience is actually the TV, you know, the TV negotiation you know, who at ESPN and Turner, if anyone else tries to get into it, you know, who are they um, that they know that's coming and that informs their bidding process. The interesting part will because of some of the soft national TV numbers, plus, you know, not having Fox Sports, you know, perhaps bidding at the same level. I mean, they were a stocking horse the last go around and helped drive up ESPN's bid. Um, and I think Ann Turner's bid um, to kind of sky high amount. So it'll be interesting to see what they get. I think to your point, live sports still kind of cuts in favor of the numbers going up. I mean, I think NFL is going to get crazy numbers, even in a pandemic. Like that's the gold mine for, for, you know, um, I mean, Amazon the, prime the video networks. just hosted an NFL game that they paid like an obscene amount of money on a per game ratio just to get into the party. Right. I mean, it's a right. single game in the middle of the day over a holiday weekend under a new set of circumstances that you have to describe to a bunch of old white guys about how to figure out how to find right. Amazon Prime on the Internet. Like it's it's like literally the worst situation that, you know, a, a television provider on the Internet could be in. And yet they paid these obscene Except for numbers. League Pass. League Pass is worse. But yeah, continue on. Sure. And that's a software issue, to be clear. But, you know, that to me is is it further. You know, regardless of the, I mean, regardless of the ratings issues, I mean, I think they will be buoyed. There's a lot of weird stuff going on right now, but ultimately, you know, live sports is still something that pulls, you know, whether it's baseball is sort of an innings eater, the NFL is sort of the grand poobah or the NBA is something in between those two things, you know, it's going to matter. And so that to me is where Seattle can provide enough of a lift as an extra market in that, um, that, it's going to happen to me. It's just again a matter of when. And they may, you know, they may construct the deal as well in terms of the on ramping of the new team or teams is that they get sort of increasingly a higher proportion of their television revenue, national television revenue share. That's not immediately like you lock in the, 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 the full share and you sort of work your way up to, you know, sort of soften the blow uh, for the current teams again. So the expansion teams purchasing, you know, the expansion groups that are purchasing the franchise price that in right as well. I mean, that's really the other, that's the other um, audience for, for silver um, is, you know, that, you know, anyone that's out there that's sort of, you know, maybe they haven't engaged bankers yet. Um, you know, they haven't gotten Sal Galacio or whoever it is that, you know, buys and sells teams the most, uh, right now, but they've, they're still like looking at it, probing it, you know, seeing, uh, you know, seeing what they, you know, actually want to do. Um, so yeah, it's a fascinating thing to see how it unfolds, uh, both for Sonics fans and just general NBA fans alike. 
Michael, those uh, older people that you reference, is that 45 and older? <laughs> Somewhere in there. We won't get into specifics. We have a broad audience here at the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. <laughs> that was an accountant's uh, dream topic. And, and a hey, lot there was a little th- lawyer in there too. Yeah, yes, yes. there's a little lawyer. A combo oh, of a lawyer's corner and accountant's corner. But very informative <laughs> and great insight. We just cut our audience in half, but uh, <laughs> it was it was worth it. It, it was, was go Sonics. It was go Sonics. Sonics. It was a great case for the Sonics too. Um, okay, guys, we ready to close it out with some trivia here? Let's do it. Let's do it. The score is, I believe, you guys tied. Last week's yeah, there were no no you didn't we tie. Both there was just no it. point. You missed it. I think that was, was the first the time. Mavericks. That was a great question, D. I gotta say, you've had some really good questions, but that was that was a tough one. That was okay. nice. I think tonight's might be a little bit easier, but we'll see. Okay, this is I know we had a, a oh, okay, top- by the by the way, yes. just because I when I was going back and listening to the last pod, um, you know, Michael made a comment of, Oh, I'll go first. I, I just want to clarify, you know, I'll go with you, D. You can be the judge here but it's sort of like you know the uh the the guy leading the tournament has the honors right he he hits off the tee first so i think the same thing here whoever's in the lead should be the one who goes first to give full advantage to the guy the poor guy uh the poor old timer who's being lapped right now by the youngsters. so it's, it's uh, fine that... no problem okay I mean, you can okay. keep copying my selections you're never going to catch me that way so oh, okay I need to add a little variance. <laughs> but yes, Ryan, that is in the rule book. You are, you okay. are correct. Your interpretation Just to clarify correct. that. <laughs> okay, guys. Continue. We talked about the race for rookie of the year last, uh, last pod. This question is, which of these four players did not, I repeat, did not win rookie of the year? Was it Pogasol, Blake Griffin, Chris Weber, or Yao Ming? I'm happy to repeat the questions if it needs to be repeated. Just give me repeat the answers. Derek, I will go uh, A, Pau Gasol. Okay. Ryan? I'll go D, Yao Ming. Ryan has made his move. That is correct. The pride cometh before the fall, young man. Ryan, for this isn't a bonus point, but I'm just curious. Do you know who won Rookie of the Year the year that Yao Ming was a rookie? I want to say Jay Williams, but he, I think he had the he had the motorcycle accident his rookie year. So yeah, I don't I don't recall. I just remember Yao did not did not do it. You don't want one more guess? It might be deep in your mind there. No pressure. Just one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy I got that one right. Six four, baby. Amari Stoudemire coming. Oh, oh the ninth there it pick. Is. Yeah. yeah. There Other than those two, I think it was a kind of a weak draft. That was pre Nash too, right? I mean, yeah. I think that Dunleavy was. Don't got paid for a while, so. <laughs> Dude, that guy was an incredible high school basketball player. He though, sure was. That much. He was. He did not look like he'd be that, but he uh, <laughs> he had a tip <laughs> dunk that I've never, <laughs> I'll never forget. Well, and <laughs> My he just got better vertical, and he as just the kept season going. went along too. Seriously, um, I was remember too. Yeah. <laughs> that draft also included our favorite blazer, Quintel Woods. So Ooh. I think he, I think he would got cut. Was he in a traffic stop and he gave the police officer his playing card instead of his driver's license? Yeah, I think he signed he it too, like, which is a nice little touch there. It's remarkable. So when I thought when I was doing this one, I I thought of when when Blake Griffin won Rookie of the Year, 
and he did a, a press conference. And uh, Norm Macdonald, the great comedian who had become a friend of Blake Griffin's, he snuck into the press conference and he had a, a question for Blake. He said, you know, Blake, there's kind of a curse around uh, winning rookie of the year, which is that no one has ever repeated it before. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if you know Norm, is a vintage Norm line. <laughs> that's, and that's the Blake best. Just said, the best. Yeah, Norm, keep that Norm's mind. the best. <laughs> Huge sports fan. And Blake Griffin, big comedy fan and actually does stand-up, which is uh, yeah, not only an athlete doing stand-up, but a bit, you know, it's like, what what is his... I've never seen any of his stand-up. I'm not really sure what his angle is. Exactly, I don't know. But, uh, but I think Norm probably mentored him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's his, that's his guy. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the 3 and D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time, but until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast. It's a triumph of the human spirit.